The dynasty fantasy football market is full of disagreement. So today we thought we would have some debates. Today we're talking about 10 contentious players in dynasty fantasy football. And the inspiration, the source of this video was coming from one of our partners over on Flock Fantasy. Avery from the dynasty domain put out a February ADP tracker. So if you guys are interested in that, of course, you know where to find it. Essentially what he did was uh, track the min and max points where some players were going off the board in startups, creating a standard deviation, or, you know, these are the contentious players in Dynasty. We don't know where to value these guys. So we took the 10 biggest standard deviations, a couple at each position, and we're going to debate their value and talk about exactly what we think of them. So it should be a fun video um, before we get into it. Danny, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. And yeah, you guys are probably in the midst of your startup season right now. There's going to be a lot of players that Dynasty players disagree on on the market. And it's our job today to break it down, whether we are closer to the high end, closer to the low end, or somewhere in the middle for the valuation as shown in today's video. Yeah, for sure. So of course, again, if you want uh, access to this uh, ADP database that uh, Avery put out, of course, that's available on Flock Fantasy, as is our Wall Street Journal 1.0, our Dynasty Rookie Draft Guide with 30 players. We ranked them, we broke down their profiles, we wrote them up, all that good stuff that is live now on the site. So check that out down below in the pinned comment. But before we get into it, let's hit the intro. All right, so as we talked about in the intro, these are the 10 most contentious players in Dynasty Fantasy Football startup drafts. Again, the source of that being their standard deviation for where they go at a min point, meaning their highest drafted position and their max point is very high and a very wide range of outcomes in the opinions of Dynasty players. So let's kick things off with a couple quarterbacks. We're going to start with Russell Wilson, quarterback currently of the Denver Broncos, not really... Um, for sure, definitely not probably back with the Denver Broncos. That could be part of why he's so contentious, but I'll let you kind of break that down and we'll break down exactly where we have him ranked. I have him at 124 overall. You have him at 111 overall. He's currently going off the board 119 on average, but as high as 62nd and as low as 135. Yeah, and for each of these 10 players, like Corey had mentioned, I'm going to go through why they're contentious, what people that are high on them may think, what people that are low on them may think, and ultimately our thoughts. So the pro Russell Wilson people will point to his track record as being a quarterback one in fantasy, state that he's a lock to be a starting quarterback moving forward, given the fact that he had like 28 touchdowns last year. He had a bounce back year in relative terms compared to his year before. The anti-Russell Wilson people will point to the fact that this is a downward spiral for the Broncos. They benched him at the end of the season. They clearly want to get rid of him. He was only averaging about 204 yards per game. And obviously, there's an uncertain future moving forward. Does he sign as a bridge quarterback somewhere? Does he op has the opportunity to potentially be a long-term starter? That's very uncertain at this certain point. So I'll kick it off with you. Uh, what are your major thoughts on the asset that is Russell Wilson? Yeah, like I said, I think part of the reason people are separated and, and far apart on where they value Russell Wilson is because we have no idea if he's going to be a starting quarterback or not. No idea if he's going to be a bridge quarterback. No idea if he's going to be a long-term starter. But the fantasy production wasn't bad last year. Quarterback 12 in points per game last year at 17.7. Like you said, 28 total touchdowns, 26 passing. He was pretty decent uh, relative to what we came into the season expecting. And if you drafted him in like a super flex format, like way, way, way late, you know, 10th, 11th round, ninth round where he was kind of going last year, he probably paid off from a production standpoint. We just don't exactly know what to expect. Is he going to go to the Steelers and sign to be the starter? Is he going to go to the Falcons and sign to be the starter? Or is he going to go to Washington as a bridge quarterback because they want to bench Drake May for five games or 10 games at the beginning of his career? We have no idea. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. We don't have an idea right now, or maybe he hits the nuts. He goes to the Falcons. Like there's a lot of uncertainty and I'm willing to buy in on it at a certain price. If he's closer to that 119 price tag, he falls past the 10th round of my startups. That's when I'm targeting a guy like Russell Wilson. He's a classic quarterback three type of option. Again, if people are pushing him up their board, taking him in the sixth, seventh, eighth round of your startup, I'm completely out of that price because like you mentioned, there's a lot of risk in the profile here. But if you can buy a cheap quarterback three, maybe he has a bounce back year, gives you, uh, you know, like what Geno Smith showed a couple years ago where he got that contract extension, then it would be a, a worthwhile pick. But because of the risk level, I'm more in the 110 to 120 range for where I'd value him. Yeah, absolutely. It's really all going to depend on what his long-term insulation is because he's old. He's not going to go up a ton yeah. in value. It's just really all about the one-year or two-year, three-year projection with him. So if he can give you back-end QB1, high-end QB2 numbers at a cheap price tag for contending rosters in the ninth to 11th round of a startup, I'm probably in on that price tag. But again, I would rather, I don't think the value accumulation potential is such that I, mean, I would take that risk now. I would probably just wait until we see where he actually signs and pay maybe a 10% tax on a good landing spot or 10% discount on a bad landing spot or whatever. So Russell Wilson's kind of an interesting topic. Could he be washed? I don't exactly know, but I do think he has enough pedigree that he'll get at least a good enough chance to start in the NFL, given that he was at one point on trajectory to be a future Hall of Fame quarterback with multiple you know, Super Bowl appearances and all that kind of stuff. So Number two quarterback on this list, and then we'll break down some position players, is uh, of my Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Baker Mayfield, quarterback currently of Tampa Bay, going as high as 69th overall in startups, as low as 131st overall in startups, on average going 94th overall in startups. I have met 90, you have met 81. What's the, the pro and con case here for Baker Mayfield? So the pro Baker people will point that he had a big bounce back here with the Bucs, the likelihood of him resigning with the team. I mean, you're a Bucs fan. There's a lot of reports that he wants to be a Buccaneer. The Buccaneers want to bring him back on a multi-year contract. And while the fantasy upside, I would say, isn't huge, he probably projects as a fringe quarterback, 15, quarterback, 18 type of production. He'll have insulated value if he signs that multi-year deal. And out of the quarterbacks in this range, it's tough to say many of them have that level of security if he does sign that deal. The anti-Baker Mayfield people will point to the fact that he isn't yet re-signed. Although there's a lot of rumors that he could re-sign, he has not put the ink to the paper quite yet. Potentially losing Mike Evans to free agency if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers move on. Maybe he goes to the Texans or something like that. And of course, with uh, Dave Canales leaving to go accept the Panthers job, he won't have that same offense coordinator that he had his success with this past year. Yeah, I mean, Liam Cohn was working with him with the Rams, so there's at least some continu uh, continuity factor if he does come back. I trust Jason Light and Mike Greenberg to bring everybody back. Everybody said we were going to lose everybody after we won the Super Bowl, and they they brought back you know everybody that they needed to bring back, Carlton Davis, uh, Ryan Jensen that year. I can't remember exactly who was a free agent, but Mike Greenberg and Jason Light worked their magic, and I think that they're going to do it again. I know we got the report that Mike Evans and the Bucks are like far apart, I, I would be shocked if Mike Evans actually hit the open market and actually signed somewhere else. They can't use their franchise tag on either Mike Evans or Baker Mayfield because they're probably going to use it on Antoine Winfield Jr. And I think they already have, or at least they're intending to. So a little bit of a sketchy situation here. But again, with Baker Mayfield, it's not like you're getting quarterback 12 to 10 production. He was quarterback 17 in points per game last year at 16.7. He had 28 passing touchdowns, which was good. He averaged 7.1 yards per attempt, which is definitely good. 
But I think for me, again, similar to Russell Wilson, I'm not really willing to take the risk on Baker Mayfield in a startup. If you drafted Baker Mayfield last year when he was worth nothing or you traded for him low or something like that, that's fine. Just hold on to him and see what happens. Maybe sell him high if he gets a multi-year extension. But for me, I don't think I'm willing to venture into the unknown for a guy that was basically cast aside by the NFL just one year ago. And if he doesn't sign with uh, Tampa Bay again, I'm sure the Broncos, the Steelers, the Falcons are going to be interested in uh, him, but we don't know exactly how he's going to perform in those other landing spots because really outside of a couple seasons or a couple stretches of play here in Cleveland and then a, a good stretch of play with the Rams and then this season with the Bucks, he has been up and down. He has been spotty and franchises have been hesitant to commit to Baker Mayfield. Yeah, like you mentioned, uh, they're a sharp front office. They should be get it, uh, be able to get it done with one of the best players in franchise history. And even if they don't, they do have first round capital to be able to add a wide receiver to help Baker. And like you mentioned, I mean, Liam Cohn, very, very sharp OC coming from that McVay tree. Uh, although he lost Dave Canales, I'm expecting Liam Cohn to be a good OC for Baker Mayfield to support the level of production we saw last year. So no real qualms in terms of the micro situation. But like you said, because it's Baker Mayfield, he doesn't really have a lot of value accumulation. But if you're getting him as a low-end quarterback too in a contending build, I'm not too mad about that. Yeah, for sure. So let's move on to the position players here. We have Rasheed Rice, wide receiver from the Kansas City Chiefs, a guy that is a lot more highly valued so far than the ones that we've talked about. Uh, average ADP of 51, 25 is his min or as like the highest he's going. So like an early third rounder. And then the lowest he's going is around 68. So kind of like that sixth, seventh round range with Rasheed Rice. I mean, I have him at 42. You have him at 48. We're kind of on the higher end of the Rasheed Rice ADP projection. So uh, I'll let you, you know, shake out why he's so contentious. And then we'll talk about why we're higher on him. Yeah, why is he so contentious? I mean, people that are pro Rasheed Rice will point to the fact that he has insulated value playing next to Patrick Mahomes. He proved enough throughout the 2023, both regular and postseason, in my opinion, that he could be a huge difference maker for this offense. The anti-Rasheed Rice people will point to the fact that he had a lackluster prospect profile and the fact that KC will more than likely add a wide receiver in the draft, whether that's at 32, whether that's at 64, there should be another wide receiver added to this court. And I'll let you kick it off with why we're not worried about even if they add a wide receiver because Rasheed Rice showed so much promise down the stretch. Yeah, like it's not just that he's connected to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. He was legit good on his own, even if he was playing for the Carolina Panthers this year who had the first pick in the draft. Like rookie wide receivers, according to our buddy Dynasty IM, who's who have posted 12 plus points per game, fantasy points per game in PPR, and an 85 plus PFF receiving grade. You got Odell Beckham, Justin Jefferson, Garrett Wilson, Michael Thomas, Terry McLaurin, Pukunakua as well from this rookie class, and Rasheed Rice. So, I mean, we're talking about a guy, wide receiver 28 as a rookie with 13.3 points per game, wasn't a full-time player until midway through the season. That was better than Garrett Wilson's numbers rookie season. That was better than Chris Olave's numbers rookie season from a fantasy projection standpoint. And if you look at, including the regular season and the postseason, we had 130 targets, 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns, I believe, 27.4% target rate during the regular season. Top seven in red zone targets at the position during the regular season, 10th in yards per route run during the regular season. This guy was very, very good. It wasn't just that he was playing with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, and obviously the rebuttal that people are going to have in terms of the target competition, that is a fair rebuttal. They could add a wide receiver. I fully understand that. But we're trusting the rookie who produced at this type of rate, especially down the stretch. I mean, for the first portion of the year, for the first eight games of the year, 
the guy's row participation simply wasn't there. Once that row participant spiked up to the 85 to the 90 plus percent, which is what we want to see from a rookie wide receiver getting more involved down the stretch. He was an absolute stud in fantasy football. He was a legit top 12 level wide receiver down the stretch. And, and although I wouldn't go as far to say that he should be valued like Puka Nakua, like as a top 25, top 30 asset in terms of super flex drafts. I think he's a very strong round four pick. If you can get this guy, let's just say at his ADP right now around that, you know, 412 type of area, you're pairing him with Josh Allen, you're pairing him with maybe Jameer Gibbs and Puka Nakua, you have a very, very strong team on your hand here. I think Rasheed Rice projects favorably long term, and I think he's a clear cut top 20 wide receiver in Dynasty. Yeah, I mean, there's no real difference between him. Uh, after his rookie season and T Higgins after his rookie season, even after they added Jamar chase, because we're looking at a situation where we have a guy who was very productive on a per route basis, per target basis. And even if they add, and then they're not going to add somebody to the caliber of a prospect of Jamar chase, even if they added Troy Franklin or added a Mitchell or something in the draft, or they sign, you know, a free agent wide receiver, maybe the, the Broncos move on from Jerry Judy and they bring in Jerry Judy or something like that. You're still in a position where Rasheed Rice is going to be well set up to at least be a 1B, a 1A, whatever situation you want to shake out for that Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver core. I'm very excited about Rasheed Rice. I think he should be absolutely a third, fourth round startup pick where we have him ranked. Um, one guy that is not so exciting. Um, he was definitely exciting last rookie cycle. Uh, Quentin Johnston, wide receiver of the Los Angeles Chargers, especially once he was drafted first round draft capital to the Los Angeles Chargers to play with Justin Herbert, aging wide receiver core. Everything was set up for Quentin Johnson to have a great rookie season. His ADP now has since fallen to 139th overall, 105th the highest, 151st the lowest points that he's going at. Me and you both have him outside of our top 150, so we're actually even lower than ADP on Quentin Johnson. And uh, why is he so contentious, Danny? Yeah, so I mean, the pro Quentin Johnson people will basically just completely write off his rookie season and they'll point to his prospect profile. They'll point to his draft capital and how not all rookie wide receivers start fast. That's going to be their excuse for why Quentin Johnson was so bad as a rookie. The anti-Quentin Johnson people will point to the fact that how bad his rookie year was and the likelihood that the Chargers will add a number one pass catcher in the NFL draft. They have a high first round pick. They've been linked to a lot of the top prospects. Would not be shocked if they added a Romo Dunze, a Malik Neighbors or a Brock Bowers in this cycle. Yeah, I mean, maybe that would be good for Quentin Johnston long-term to not have to be the number one receiver. That could be like a pro-Quentin Johnston take that somebody Galaxy brains themselves into as well. But, dog, this guy was wide receiver 84 in points per game this year with 5.5 points per game, despite, I would say, one of the nuts ranges of outcomes hitting where Mike Williams gets hurt, he tears his ACL, he's out for majority of the season, and Quentin Johnston still has a 58.7 PFF receiving grade, which was 84th among 96 qualifying receivers, 14% target rate, drops that cost them games literally not even yeah. just like drops that ended drives there is nothing to take away positive from quentin johnson's rookie year yeah before you guys go in the comments and are like well quentin johnson we knew it was going to be raw in his rookie season this guy was getting drafted in the eighth round with the assumption that mike williams would have been healthy last year like in best ball he was going in round seven in round eight and i'm sure if the market had the knowledge of mike williams tearing his acl he probably would have been a top five round pick. So I'm not taking that excuse there. I understand if you thought he was raw coming in and didn't expect him to produce as a rookie, he wouldn't have been valued the way he was in best ball last year. It's clearly a disappointing year. What could go wrong went wrong for Quentin Johnson as a rookie. And people were just buying him because he had that first round profile, because he was productive, because, you know, uh, your favorite model had him as an elite prospect. I understand at the time why he was a valued commodity, but we have to take the context that his rookie season was so bad that, you can't have that type of expectation for him. Could he bounce back and be a wide receiver three? 
Absolutely. But even a wide receiver three pegging at this point is optimistic thinking for what Quentin Johnson showed as a rookie. Yeah, hopefully Jim Harbaugh and the scheme that they bring in there can can use his skill set a little bit better. Yeah. But at the same time, man, like you have to have no expectations of Quentin Johnson going forward. And that's what an outside the top 150 ADP would suggest and where we have him ranked. So yeah, if he hits any kind of like wide receiver three production, that's good. But wide receiver one, wide receiver two, I mean, he's a face planner. He's got a yeah. 95% chance of never hitting that type of production, even though he plays in what projects to be a pretty good offense with a great quarterback long-term. And they're going to add some pass catchers to probably make the offense better. It's just not a good situation for Quentin Johnson. So for us, we're just, we're, we're probably out on the price tag that he's still kind of going at a decently high price tag, given how bad his rookie season was. And if you have Quentin Johnson, any second round picking him out, I'm cashing out any second round pick 25, 26, 24, doesn't matter. I'm cashing out on Quentin Johnson's range of outcomes because I just personally don't believe that he's going to turn into anything. So uh, number five on this list, a uh, guy that was is very contentious in Dynasty right now, who is very, very highly valued, is Puka Nakua, who is going as early as pick 14, so an early second rounder, as late as pick 35, so kind of like a late third rounder here. 27.86 is his average ADP. I have him at 25 overall. You have him at 17 overall. Why is Puka Nakua so contentious here? And people that are pro Puka are going to point to the fact that this was arguably one of the greatest rookie seasons of all time, up there with the Jamar Chases, up there with the Justin Jeffersons in terms of rookie seasons. And I'm more than happy overlooking that questionable prospect profile because of what he has shown at the NFL level. The people that are anti-Puka are going to point to the fact that he's not as talented as some of the other top 30 players in startup drafts and how he's situationally dependent on Matthew Stafford, on Sean McVay. And want to ask you where you're at with it. Clearly, I'm high on him having him at 17, but I'll let you make the case as well. Yeah, I'm about at market right now, which is, you know, 27. I'm at 25. I I, I agree there is some situational dependence with, uh, with sure. Puka Nakua. If Matthew Stafford or Sean McVay were to retire, which has is both been in the range of outcomes for both guys, even though McVay is really young and Stafford probably still has some years left, we've heard whispers that they might do that. I do think he would suffer. I do think it's possible that this season that we just saw from Puka Nakua is the best of his entire career. He plays another 10 years. He never has a season as good as this. But again, you got to bet on the ability that you saw on field his rookie season, which was 17.6 points per game, which was sixth among wide receivers while sharing the field for more than half the season with Cooper Cup, who is the best wide receiver fantasy season of all time. We're not talking about, you know, random hypothetical target competition here. We're talking about a wide receiver who has literally posted the best wide receiver fantasy season of all time. 89.3 PFF receiving grade. That was top 10 among wide receivers. That was better than Jamar Chase. That was better than Garrett Wilson. That was better than a number of great wide receivers around the NFL. So yes, he's a very talented player. He wasn't thought to be a very talented player coming out of college, but he proved it in the NFL. And that rookie season data is more important than anything he posted in college. But I understand to some degree being a little hesitant, putting him as dynasty wide receiver three, like he probably would have been if he, if his name was Jackson Smith and Jigba and he had the rookie season that he had. Yeah. And I, I baked that in a little bit because he's uh, my wide receiver seven at this current point. The big micro difference in our rankings is that I have the wide receivers a little bit higher than you. Uh, you probably have a couple quarterbacks, a couple running backs. Mixed I do in have the running back line. position specifically a little bit higher than you do because I view Bijan, Brees Hall, Jameer Gibbs as like head and shoulders above their position group. Which is perfectly fine. I, I do think that any way you slice it, the 16 to 25 range in the startup is pretty even anyways. But I mean, why we're pro Puka, nearly 1,500 receiving yards as a rookie is extremely impressive any way you slice it. And instead of making excuses for why it happened, oh, the scheme, oh, you know, uh, he was force-fed targets in the first few games with Matthew Stafford. 
We should be embracing a 22-year-old fifth-round pick for being as productive as he was. I learned from a uh, or St. Brown two years ago. Stop doubting legit difference makers because of where they were selected from the NFL draft and just embrace that consistent production they brought. or St. Brown proved himself to be a big steal a couple years ago, and I think Puka Nakua could end up being valued like or St. Brown, where across the board, people are ranking him as a top 15 overall asset, hence why I'm ahead of the curve having him at 17. Yeah, it'd be one thing if he had like 950 yards and six touchdowns and Cooper Cup was cut and we were like projecting a huge leap forward, but he literally already did it from every facet with Cup on the field or without Cup on the field. So like as a fifth round pick, you got to come in and knock out expectations. And he absolutely did that posting the highest receiving yardage season a rookie wide receiver has ever posted. So pretty insane that people are still doubting Puka, but I understand not throwing him all the way up there as like a top 15 asset in Dynasty because of the value of a quarterback position in a, in a one quarterback startup, he's probably a first round pick or at least a late first round pick, Easily. which I understand, but in a super flex league, you know, quarterbacks running backs and, you know, maybe even Sam Laporta factor in as uh, guys that you might potentially want to have over uh, Puka Nakua going forward. So let's move on to the running back position here. Started off with a guy that has been a King for fantasy football for a long time. Nick Chubb running back of the Cleveland Browns going as high as 79th overall, as low as 144th overall. So big time contentious separation with where we should be valuing Nick Chubb right now. Average ADP of 113. Um, contentious. I mean, it's pretty obvious, I think, for those of you guys that know why he's so contentious, but I'll let you outline it anyway. Yeah, I mean, people that are pro Nick Chubb are going to point to his sustained success in the NFL and how people haven't adjusted to his ACL news after the initial reports. Obviously, the initial reports, it looked bleak, man. We're like, okay, is this guy's career done? Like, his leg basically folded in half. Like, it was two a, surgeries, too, which is very, something that people will point out. Very sad situation. The anti-Nick Chubb people will point to the multi-ligament nature of his tear and how a late scheduled 2024 return plus no contract installation in 2025 make him far too risky of an asset moving forward. And I'll just say it right now, we're more so on that frame of mind, hence why I have him at 130 and you have him at 137. Yeah, I, I don't think it's outrageous to say that Nick Chubb could just win comeback player of the year Very next well. year because he's literally a borderline Hall of Fame talent. He's one of the best running backs, pure runners that I've ever seen play football. Yeah. So yeah, he could come back in you know, week six next year and just rip the NFL a new ass for the rest of the year because I mean, he's been RB6, RB10, RB7, RB10 over the last four healthy seasons in fantasy with 15 to 17 fantasy points per game. In that standpoint, despite never catching passes, pretty much he's he's uh, in PPR leagues. He's already at a disadvantage and he's already just kind of tearing the NFL like he usually does. And now you have the injury factoring in the fact that he's over 27 years old. He has all these carries under his belt. Again, I'm not going to really doubt Hall of Fame talents. I do think that Nick Chubb is a worthwhile, you know, dart throw if you can get him for a late Cheap second enough. round pick in a trade right now. It's just in a startup. I think he should probably fall a decent amount because he's a risky asset. And the same could be said for like J.K. Dobbins, who I'm also pretty high on. It's just difficult to project these guys to be great, great insulated assets. It's like there's a very good chance that Nick Chubb never has like RB2 or better production for the rest of his career. And I'm glad you made that relation. If you're already in a league and you're a contending team and you want to throw a late two at Nick Chubb because you banked up some picks, that's one thing. But actually pulling the trigger on Nick Chubb in a startup, I just can't get at a top 100 valuation at this point. I'm not ruling out the return. I mean, this guy's a Hall of Fame talent. He's a, he's a generational athlete for a reason. Like he could very well prove me wrong in that regard. But expected return late in 2024. He's entering the final year of that three-year contract that he signed. His immediate production value obviously is going to be dinged coming off the ACL. And 
when the Browns don't have that guaranteed money going into 2025? Is he even a lock to come back to the Browns? Is he even a lock to be a full-time workhorse running back moving forward? There's a lot of questions, man. So because of that, I would rather wait maybe if I want to get a win now running back, go for a guy like James Conner, go for a guy like Aaron Jones later in the draft rather than pull the trigger on Nick Chubb. Yeah, I mean, I've even seen reports floated out there that he might be a cap casualty this year, let alone, yeah. you know, coming into 2025. It's possible that they restructure, rework, you know, his contract going forward based on his recovery and how it's going and that kind of thing. So definitely an interesting case study. We'll see how it shakes out again. If I'm going to not put it past anybody like Nick Chubb to come yeah. back and be as dominant as he was before, he definitely could do that. It's just you have to factor it in like if he was 22, it would be one thing. He's 27, and he has a lot of uh, of wear and tear on his body already. So it's not the same as him saying, oh, you know, in college, he came back from a catastrophic knee injury. It's like he was like 19, 20 years old when he did that. So that's a big difference when it comes to mileage and age on the tread there. So uh, these next two running backs are both the type of dudes you only draft if you're building a competitive team. But nonetheless, they are contentious regardless. So Saquon Barkley going off the board as high as 32 overall. I would imagine that's a more redraft centric casual room. That's doing that yeah. 73 overall is his low point in terms of his over uh, of his value. You're on the low point of it. You have met 72. I've met 60. His average ADP is 57. So I'm a little bit more in line with consensus. You're a little bit more in line with the pessimistic people on Saquon Barkley. Um, why is he so contentious? Yeah, because right off the bat, running backs are going to be contentious in some more casual rooms. Like you said, they'll push him up to 32 and other rooms like ours. He's going to fall closer to that 60, 73 mark that we have listed here. The pro Saquon Barkley people will point to his sustained production as an elite fantasy running back and the level of talent he possesses as a three down workhorse between the tackles in the receiving game. He's shown it uh, and proven it throughout his NFL career. The anti-Saquon Barkley people will point to his age, his touch volume throughout his career, and the uncertainty of his next destination. Is he going to be back with the Giants? Where does he go? Is he going to get that same type of workload? A lot more questions in this range on top of having an ample number of wide receiver options. Yeah, I think for me, as somebody who's in line with Saquon Barkley's ADP yeah. right now, I look at the guy who was RB9 last year in points per game, RB5 the year before. He is a UFA this year, not likely to be franchise tagged by the sounds of it. So I think... One of the pros for Saquon Barkley is he should get at least a two-year insulated value type of contract on the open market. He's 27 years old. He has 1,500 career touches, so that's definitely concerns, and he's a risky acquisition as a result. But I feel strongly that he has a few years left in the tank because we did miss a little bit of you know tread on the tires when he was dealing with injuries, and he commanded a top-two workload in the NFL last year with a top-five target share, so he can do it as a receiver, maybe as his career goes along, they, you know, scale down whoever signs him his rushing production. They add in a, um, you know, a, a banger back to help spell him in that area and use him more as a receiver. Like we've seen with Christian McCaffrey, I could see that happening as well. Whoever signs him is getting a two to three year workhorse back. Although the efficiency wasn't as good uh, last year as it was the year uh, previous. He's still capable of posting monster numbers. He's still capable of rushing in 15 touchdowns of catching, you know, 75 passes of breaking off 10 long touchdowns. Of, of 40 plus yards any given season like he has the ability to do that so I'm kind of trusting the ability here again he would be totally off my board if I'm building out a rebuilding team but if you build out a team and a startup where you go like let's say Joe Burrow in round one Kyler Murray falls to you in round two you grab Tyreek Hill in round three and you grab Stefan Diggs in round four if you get on the board in mid round five and you're like I need a running back to anchor my team Saquon Barkley for a competitive build is not a terrible option 
Yeah, that's fair. And again, I'm a bit more pessimistic on the longevity factor of Barkley due to the wear and tear and structurally avoiding this range of running backs. Like for me personally, if I'm going to invest in a running back, I want to do it at the top or I want to backfill. I typically don't do it in the mid rounds, given the wide receiver depth at hand in most startups. So that's just more of a structural thing for me. Why I'm at 72. I'd prefer some of the similar range wide receivers here, but there's no denying the talent that he possesses, the three down ability that he possesses. And I think projecting into 2024, he's a strong bet to be a top 10 overall running back. But the problem that I have is seeing him be a sustained workhorse role past this year. I think even if a team signs him to a two, three year deal, year one's going to be the workhorse here. Year two and three, I'm a little bit concerned that, like you said, maybe they add a hammer back. Maybe they add, you know, a receiving back to spell him. I don't think he can continue on this top two, top five overall workload we've seen with the New York Giants. Hence why I'm a little bit more concerned. We saw the efficiency drop off also a little bit this year. Is he dependent on his workload? I think there's a lot more question marks than we've initially had with Saquon Barkley. I, I just want to go out there and say this elite talent's going to be able to produce an elite mark, but He's shown last year that if he's not getting that elite level of workload, I'm not necessarily sure he can recapture that elite efficiency. Yeah, I, I tend to be on the opposite side with Saquon. It's like sure. I actually kind of want a team to not use him quite as much as the Giants did. Um, if he goes to the Texans, they'd have another back to spell him there. If he goes to the Cowboys, they probably have another guy that they could spell him there. So I'm hoping he goes to like one of those landing spots. Obviously, those those landing spots are good because Very they're good. good quarterbacks and they're going to be high scoring offenses. But I mean, even worst case scenario, the Giants re-signed him to a two to three year deal. I actually think he would still be a pretty good bet because like you said, you want to avoid the middle class of the running backs yeah. to some degree, but when they fall to like the sixth, seventh round and you have the ability to grab a guy that has a good RB1 projection, him and Josh Jacobs both kind of fit into this um, scenario as UFAs this year. I'm, I'm kind of okay with that because the running back mm -hmm. position is so, so weak at the top that these guys still are top 10 to 12 dynasty running backs, given what they can, um, you know, be expected to do for the next couple of years. And speaking of a guy who is a little bit older, who, puts you in a competitive window the second you draft him. Christian McCaffrey going off the board right now, 22nd overall. So he's a late second round pick on average, as high as 10th overall. So that's, again, another redraft-centric type of room that we're talking about. 32nd overall is the low point of Christian McCaffrey. So at the least, you know, worst case scenario, he's probably a mid-third round pick in most leagues. With CMC, I mean, we're more in line with um, the lower case scenario. I've met 30, you have met 32. Yeah, I mean, if you guys have watched this channel, you know our thoughts on taking CMC in the second round of a startup and the fact that it would never happen in any of our drafts. The pro CMC people, the ones that are taking him in the second round or possibly as high as 10th overall, will point to the fact that he is a Hall of Fame lock on one of the premier offenses in the NFL that is literally built around him. Like, you take CMC out of that offense, they are not functioning the same. Kyle Shannon tailored this offense to fit CMC, and we saw it this past year, him finishing as the RB1. And not to mention, going into 2024, he's a near lock to finish as a top one to three running back in fantasy should he stay healthy. The anti-CMC people acknowledge just how volatile his value is in a startup and recognize that taking an old running back that high is investing in an illiquid asset with no value protection. Yeah, and again, do you care about value when you're drafting Christian McCaffrey? Probably not. You're probably acknowledging that you're just drafting the top two running back in fantasy that he's been every healthy year since 2018, which again is absolutely absurd to say. He's maybe the best fantasy football running back in NFL history, legitimately. Like MLT. he has been, he's responsible for some of the best fantasy football seasons we've seen, including this past year when he's been older. So the second you take him, you're competing. That's the drawback of taking Christian McCaffrey in round two. So for me, I need to get him in round three so that I have more information on the draft room that I'm drafting in. Because if everybody's drafting young players and Christian McCaffrey falls to round three, then I think he's a good 
pick there at that point. If you're building a competitive roster and you start your draft with two anchor quarterbacks or an anchor wide receiver and an anchor quarterback, and then you draft Christian McCaffrey round three, that makes total sense to me. So again, I'm not usually one to select Christian McCaffrey because he's off the board. Most of the time I'm willing to do that. But if he's on the board in mid round three and you have two um, uh, players that can get you a competitive window, and everybody in your league is drafting young players, then I think that's the time that you pivot. It's just really all about what your draft room is doing. And if your draft room is taking them 10th overall, like some of these draft rooms are doing, I am not taking them that high. There's no chance. Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, in terms of historical comparison, you mentioned uh, him potentially being the best fantasy running back of all time. The only real you know, contender on that list, in my opinion, would probably be LaDainian Tomlinson, what he was doing in his prime. And we saw when LT reached 29, the efficiency, the workload did drop off. And uh, Dynasty, I wasn't playing Dynasty back in 2008, but I can assure that his Dynasty value probably cut nearly in half by one year because that is the nature of these type of running backs. If you're not giving that elite value over replacement production at that age, your Dynasty value, I mean, Saquon, or Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey could be the Dynasty RB9 50th overall player this time next year. Yeah, not even this time next year. I think midway through this next yeah. season, he could be all the way down there. If he's giving you back-end RB1 production, he, he's no longer the Christian McCaffrey that you drafted. You need this, this. This Christian McCaffrey needs to be the best running back in fantasy, pretty much. Yeah. And he'll probably be the best running back in fantasy as long as he's healthy. It's just that you have to factor in the downside risk, which is what makes him a contentious topic. Because some people, I've heard say, he's the RB1 in Dynasty for this foreseeable future. And he needs to do something that is absurd for the running back position to live up to that billing. He needs to be a dominant RB1 for the next three to four years to be able to be saying that he is the RB1 in Dynasty still. Yeah, no, I completely agree, especially when you got guys like B. Sean Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Brees Hall, who are all, you know, favorable RB1 bets and also under 25 years old. It's just a safer bet from a value accumulation standpoint. If B. Sean Robinson goes out and is the RB1 in fantasy next year, he's going to be a top 15 overall startup pick. If Christian McCaffrey goes out there and is the RB5 in fantasy next year, he's probably going to be going in the fourth or fifth round. Like that is the divide that we have here because of the age. Yeah, and maybe even less than that because him finishing RB5 would be a huge disappointment to the first overall pick that he's probably going to be in redraft league. So he could even be in Austin Eckler, Tony Pollard territory if that happens, even though RB5 is a great finish for most of the time. Um, It's all about the expectations you have going forward. So let's... Um, end this conversation with two tight ends here. We have Pat Frymuth, tight end of the Pittsburgh Steelers, going off the board on average, 116th overall, 74th at the high end, 148th at the low end. Pat Frymuth is a contentious topic because he wasn't good this year. 109 yeah. uh, is where I have him. 133 is where you have him. So you, yeah. we're actually a little bit far apart on this. I'm actually ahead mm-hmm. of market. You're behind market. Yeah, and I mean, the pro Pat Frymuth people will point to his prospect profile, productive first two years in the NFL, and uh, expect the player that we saw in 2022 rather than the player that we saw in a down 2023. The anti-profit people will point to his aggression in 2023 and the nature of being a tight end to in dynasty, pushing his value down. So I'll let you kick it off while you're a little bit higher and I'll rebuttal with why I'm a little bit lower. Yeah, with Fryermuth, like you said, he was a great prospect. Coming into the league, he had a great rookie season. He scored like eight touchdowns as a rookie with a washed-up Ben Roethlisberger. His second year in 2022, he had a revolving door of a rookie quarterback in Mitch Trubisky, and he was top 10 in target share, target rate, air yard share, receiving yards, yards per route run, everything that you could want as a second-year tight end. Again, he's a young player still, and tight ends typically don't produce until their third, fourth, fifth seasons anyway. Uh, Sam Laporta is not the standard. He's the outlier guy legit needs a quarterback like get him anybody that's better than what he's been dealing with Arthur Smith's scheme may have been detrimental for Kyle Pitts but as a a traditional inline blocking tight end like Pat Fryermuth, 
I think he'll be fine. I think he'll inherit the Jonu Smith type of role, only he's a much better player, much more consistent than Jonu Smith. So if we get Ryan Tannehill as the starting quarterback here, if we get Russell Wilson or Justin Fields or Baker Mayfield as the starting quarterback for Pat Fryermuth, I think he's going to be a tight end one projection as soon as next year. So I don't think he's a tight end two in Dynasty because he's very young. He's very talented. Maybe he signs elsewhere in free agency after the Steelers um, fail to address the quarterback position yet again. I'm not sure what his future lies, but in Dynasty, I'm investing in the talent of Pat Fryermuth. Yeah, and you mentioned that you view him as a tight end one. That's where I'll rebuttal a little bit simply because the depth options at tight end nowadays, I mean, you go pretty deep. My tight end 12, my tight end 11, my tight end 10 respectively are Dallas Goddard at 12, Jake Ferguson at 11, Travis Kelsey at 10, all of whom I think have proven more at this current point. Um, I'm not, I don't consider myself anti-Pat Fryermuth by any stretch. He more so just tail ends the tight end 13 to 18 range for me. And I push that range a little bit down due to the lack of scarcity at that position. I really don't see a big difference between guys like Pat Fryermuth, guys like Michael Mayer, Cole Komet, uh, Evan Ingram, incoming Jatavian Sanders, guys like Greg Dolchich. I view them as very similar. The reason why I prefer some of those other guys is, like you mentioned, the situational stability. If Pat Fryermuth got a huge upgrade at quarterback tomorrow, I have no problem having him at the top of that tier. But versus guys like Cole Komet, who could potentially have Caleb Williams, uh, a guy like Evan Ingram, who's been a tight end one producer and has Trevor Lawrence, and more potential upside, in my opinion, from guys like JT Sanders, if he goes in the second round to the right landing spot, Greg Dolchich, who got his season wiped away this year, but showed a lot of flashes in his rookie season. And of course, the prospect profile I expected of Michael Mayer coming in, projecting forward with that Las Vegas Raiders team. He's well within that tier for me. He just doesn't top it. Yeah, that's fair. I guess he's just a little bit towards the higher end of that tier for me. That's pretty much that's the difference between yeah. those um, those guys. And uh, we're going to close out this video with another um, yeah. contending asset. Channel Classic. Contending. Again, the second you select this guy, you're contending. Travis Kelsey, tight end of the Kansas City Chiefs, um, has threatened retirement recently. Yeah. And it sounds like, in my opinion, he's done after this coming season. He's going yes. for a three-peat. I understand it. Nobody's ever done it in the NFL. Patrick Mahomes, he's enticing to work with. You have a superstar girlfriend. He's, she's the most famous woman on planet Earth. Travis Kelsey goes off the board 64th overall on average, 36, the high end 84, the low end. So very, very spread out, very, very widespread of where you're actually getting Travis Kelsey. I have met 101, which is lower than his low end. You have met 102, which is lower than his low end. So we are staunchly anti-Travis Kelsey, but why are they so contentious? What are the pro Travis Kelsey guys talking about? Yeah. And I mean, if you've watched the channel, literally like the last three years, it feels like we've talked about selling Travis Kelsey and dynasty, the pro Travis Kelsey, people will simply point to the fact that he's arguably the best tight end of all time, who has been a top three finisher at tight end and fancy every year since 2016. The anti-Travis Kelsey people will point to the fact that he's arguably entering his last NFL season. Like you mentioned, he shown sign. He showed signs of regressions at ugh. He showed signs of regression at times during this past season and that the Chiefs could very well dial back his workload. They add a receiver. Maybe they say, hey, Travis, like we're not going to give you the 10, 11 targets per game. We want to save you. want to keep you fresh for the playoff run that we inevitably would have. I typically wouldn't make that case of any other NFL franchise, but I can make that case with the back-to-back -back champions that are the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, it's so difficult with Kelsey because, I mean, he's been tight end one or two every fantasy season since 2016. Like, that's pretty insane production. Remarkable. Nobody's And I, I talked about McCaffrey being the best running back in fantasy history. Kelsey's probably the best tight end in fantasy yeah. history, including Gronkowski, including Gonzalez. You know, Gonzalez and all those type of guys. He was banged up last year. He missed two games, and he regressed four fantasy points per game from his 20. Uh, 22 season. He's still a top three redraft tight end, most likely uh, from a projection standpoint, but he's probably a one-year rental in dynasty. And 
with Travis Kelsey, I think the thing that people forget is when we were telling you to sell Travis Kelsey last offseason, you could have gotten a late first and a mid second for him. That late first and mid second might have become Zay Flowers and Rasheed Rice or yeah. Devon Achan and Sam Laporta. Like you might have like absolutely woodshedded somebody with a trade like that. And you can still, given this 36th overall high end ADP, you can still get a first round pick for this guy. And in any kind That's of tight funny. end premium, you're probably getting more than that. Yeah, in some leagues, if you can get first-round capital, absolute smash. I mean, I'll ask you this question. You get an offer right now. You have Travis Kelsey, and someone's willing to offer you a 206 this year in this upcoming rookie draft. Not based on what the market thinks, based off what you think. Are you taking that deal? If I was a, com a contending team that was set to win this year, I would not take that deal. But if I was trying to sell off assets and I was trying to rebuild, I think that's probably an appropriate price tag for Travis Kelsey. But like I said, I would want more than that because I think I can exactly. get more than that. Exactly. But the fact that you're willing to accept that type of deal, if push came to shove, no other competitive offers came in your league and you were trying to, you know, sell off Travis Kelsey, that kind of speaks volume to the fact that this guy's going in the top 100 and we have that type of difference in the market and sharper leagues. I mean, trying to get any first round capital for Travis Kelsey is going to be a really tough thing because of the fact that the rumors of him retiring because of the fact that he showed regression this year. It's very scary, man. As soon as he doesn't produce at a top three level or retires, that's a dead asset. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't draft a dead asset 36th overall. Like, I don't care yeah. how good you think you can contend. That is ridiculously high. Yeah. Like, you need to get this guy in round eight, round nine, round 10 for him to be justified at that cost, which is where we have him ranked. And even yeah. then, I'm like, am I going to press the button on Travis Kelsey unless I've built out a staunch uh, contending only roster? Yeah. Like, with, he's probably with off my board entirely. Yeah, like say you you know you got the 102, you got Mahomes, maybe uh at the end of the second round you got, you know, Garrett Wilson or Puka Nakua or something. And third then round, maybe in the Christian third McCaffrey, round or yeah, Brees, someone like that. Like say you built a strictly contending roster, your quarterbacks are like Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins and Russell Wilson and you want to add Travis Kelsey to stack with Patrick Mahomes. That's one thing, but like you said, that has to come at the 8th, ninth, 10th round area for me to pull the trigger on it. Not you know, round four, round five, like some leagues will have him valued at. Yeah, so he's a contentious topic for sure because, again, you can make the argument that one year value over replacement production at tight end is worth a high-end asset like a late first-round pick or an early second-round pick. But again, I point to you like how good the classes have been, how much I trust my own scouting ability to draft yeah. the best players. Again, that pick could have became Quentin Johnson. I'm not going to discount that. Like, it's possible that you give up Quentin Johnson, uh, and that's that's not good. Obviously, Are you really sleeping at night, though? Healthy. But that's the low end, right? Like think of Zay Flowers, Devon HN, even the low, the middling Zach Charbonnet, Will Levis projections. I mean, we're still talking about those guys as assets that are similarly valued to Travis Kelsey, even though they haven't really hit yet. Yeah. And I mean, worst case scenario, if you sell sold off a 35-year-old tight end and it ended up turning into Quentin Johnson, are you really losing much long-term? No, not really. And at the same time too, like you don't have to spend that pick. Like if you get the 109 for Travis Kelsey and you don't like this rookie class or you don't want to draft Brian Thomas Jr., whatever player is going to be there, you could get a better asset to compete with the 109. You can get Mark, An I guarantee you probably get Mark Andrews from the 109 in this year's rookie class with all the hype that it's getting. Yeah, and I mean, maybe if you're in a league that sells Kelsey for the 109, that probably means that Mark Andrews is worth like the 105. So maybe that's not attainable for- Ilo and Hawkinson enough, with but... the 109 then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there's other options. Dalton Kincaid, Kyle Pitts, like there's other options to transition off of Travis Kelsey, especially to get younger at tight end. Yeah, so bottom line is don't draft a guy that could retire. Um, 
in the sixth round or the fifth round or the fourth round. Like when, when Tom Brady was 44 years old and he was going to give you one more year of good production, he was like a 12th round starter pick. And that's kind of where Travis Kelsey belongs, to be honest, maybe a little higher because his position's a little bit more scarce, but not much more than that. Um, so that is the end of this video, a little bit longer, but again, 10 players, the dynasty community has no idea where to rank or where to take in startups. That's what we tackled in today's video. Again, let us know down below what you thought. Do you want us to do this again with just different players? We could definitely do that. Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, fun talking back and forth about the range of outcomes of dynasty players. I'm sure you guys want to know about certain players. Maybe we'll farm it out to you guys specifically next time, how you, you, want to you know, yeah. don't know how to rank certain players. We could do that as like a Q and a basis, but let us know down below what you think. Again, flockfantasy.com promo code FSE is the inspiration for this video. We had uh, Avery from dynasty domain actually put out this February ADP list. That's up to date. That exactly is factoring in everything that you're factoring in free agents and all that kind of stuff when you're doing a startup draft. So that's definitely a great resource as is our dynasty rookie draft guide. The dynasty wall street journal 1.0 is out right now with our top 30 rookie rankings for super flex leagues with one quarterback leagues, with our prospect profiles our prospect write-ups pro comparisons, grades, uh, everything that you guys would need to know about the biggest assets in Dynasty Rookie Drafts version 2.0 will be coming out in mid-March. We'll have combine updates. We'll have 20 more prospects that we're talking about to give us an even top 50. And then probably closer to the NFL draft or after the NFL draft, we'll add in our favorite sleepers, our favorite values, our favorite busts, all that kind of stuff. So if that interests you, link will be down below in the pinned comment. But with that being said, peace out and we'll talk to you soon.